0: We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 13, and um, so we'll be there, and uh, just a couple more announcements before we go. If you're going to the men's retreat, Xander, what time's breakfast on Saturday? Oh, 8.30, there we go, uh, but... Okay, so Friday night, if you're not playing golf and you're going to the men's retreat, uh, you can start getting into the uh, cabin—or it's not a cabin; it's this beautiful new structure they have. But anyway, you can check in starting around 5:30, 5:45, right at that range. And the first session starts at seven. Uh, you're responsible for eating prior to the time. Some guys are going to eat in Ligonier around 4:30. If you want to join them, uh, see Xander or I—we could connect you. Uh, if you're playing golf, you need to be at the golf course. Um, is it Champion Lakes? Yeah, I think it is. Anyway, where's our golf maestro? <laughs> I think it is Champion Lakes. But anyway, uh, in Ligonier, and uh, they're teeing off at 1230. So uh, uh, if you don't know what to bring, uh, that's a big question. On our website, if you click the men's uh, retreat uh, link, it'll tell you what to bring. And uh, so that's good. Um, Anyway, so we're going to have several sessions together. Uh, here's our two breakout sessions this year. Uh, we're going to have one session for evangelism uh, uh, for daily life. So, uh, you know, not going out, making some special trip, but how do you evangelize just in daily life as a, as a lifestyle? And so that's one breakout session. The other breakout session, which will be taught by Seth, our uh, one who's going to be our main speaker Uh, from Calvary Fredericksburg, is uh, how to uh, navigate life as a young man in a culture that hates Christianity. Uh, So he's going to hit that. And um, so evangelism for us older guys, uh, and Seth will take the younger guys. So uh, that's going to be that. Uh, Lots of activities. So if you haven't signed up, Well, you still can. Don't tell Xander I said that. He left, so I'm going to say we can do it. All right. Uh, Proverbs 13. And if you uh, weren't here uh, uh, for the um, uh, first session on Proverbs, well, let's talk about what the Proverbs are. You know, uh, for the first several chapters of Proverbs, Proverbs isn't what you think Of Proverbs. (laughs) Only until you get to around chapter 10 or chapter 11 do you have these short, pithy statements in which there are bullet point sort of truths that are generally applicable in life. They're not guarantees. Uh, I've had people ask me, listen, I took my child to church every day for their whole life and now that they've grown and gone out and been by themselves... They've rebelled against the Lord, and they're not following the Lord. And I thought the Bible said if you train up a child in the way that they should go, you know the verse. So what's the deal? Well, the deal is that everybody's born with a will and uh, uh, has will and a choice. And as they've grown up, they've fallen away from the Lord. But you as a parent, we as a parent, are to put our kids in a successful, uh, successful is not a good word, in an environment in which they will see that the Lord is honored in our homes, see that the word of God is respected and held high, see that we're people of praise and prayer and service, and to bring our kids along in that way, uh, giving them the best possible environment in which to follow the Lord. That's what that's about. So that's what a proverb is. And now when we get past chapter 10, or when we get into chapter 10, we start into these three or four sentence statements. Warren Wiersbe says, I love it, they're short and pithy with general truths, and the purpose is, oh wow, I didn't even know we had it. So um, uh, listen, I love the second paragraph here. Proverbs are expressed in ways that make it easy to hang proverbial wisdom in the gallery, the picture gallery of your mind. Now you can do that, or you can just have me email it to you. Uh, but uh, uh, you can do it if you want, but I, I'll email these to you. All these quotes or Gabe will. Uh, but so what is the book of Proverbs about? And this is fascinating. Proverbs is about wisdom, wisdom. That's what the whole book's about. Oh, but, um, Let's think about what wisdom is, because in the book of James, you know, there's a distinction between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom or godly wisdom. One sensual, demonic. And so people can be wise and smart out in the world and have no sense or no clue about what biblical wisdom is. Listen to this. One writer says this in the book by Walter and De Silva. Prover in Proverbs, wisdom denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life, so that no one can, or so that one conducts one's life to the greatest benefit of oneself and the community. It's the way of eternal life. Through wisdom, you're able to read circumstances, interpret situation, so to act correctly, speak properly, respond appropriately. Uh, and uh, so on and so forth. Charles Spurgeon said, "This wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So a lot of people can know stuff, but its wisdom is applying that knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal, and are all the greater fools for it. There's no fool so great. A fool is a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom." And this last one by uh, this theologian, Douglas Moo, (laughs) what a name, right? It's a divine grace. That's what wisdom is, a divine grace that involves biblical insight into God's purposes and ways. And used rightly, wisdom provides the basis for a biblical outlook on life that leads to, listen, to righteous living But biblical insight into God and his ways isn't a theoretical knowledge. It's a true knowledge of the Holy One that moves us to appropriate a holy fear of the Lord. And to gain this wisdom, we need to pursue it. It tells us that in chapter 2. To live in such wisdom, we must rely upon God, chapter 3. And to learn such wisdom, we must preach Proverbs. So here's the thing wisdom, uh, Proverbs is hard to categorize when you get to chapter 10 through, uh, you know, mostly the end of the book. It seems as if, Oh, there we go. Wow. I'm so organized, aren't I? <laughs> or Gabe is, but anyway, uh, but see, it seems like it's hard to navigate because in each chapter, You're going to get a little blurb about something that you're going to get in the uh, successive chapter. You're going to encounter it again. And at first glance, you might say to yourself, well, why didn't the writer, Solomon, put it in like a treatise, paragraphs about our speech or paragraphs about uh, receiving criticism? Why didn't he all just put it together? And I think I know one reason is because The Proverbs, I think, are um, designed to be read daily. And if you read one proverb a day, I bet you encountered uh, over 150, 250 situations today. I could tell you about mine, but I'll save you. (laughs) It's costing me my golf game on Friday, but oh well. Uh, So I needed wisdom on how to uh, navigate that, but... Isn't it interesting that in each chapter you get these this mixed bag, you so to speak, of Proverbs, but it's everything you need for the day. And then when you flip the page, you're like, well, you talked about that last time, but it's everything you need for that day. And then it's everything you need for that day. You get the point? And so that's really interesting. It's, uh, I, I love how Proverbs is put together that way. Here's another thing you can distinguish in your mind, the Psalms are more talking to God. And it's this interaction in praise and prayer and letting out how you feel and receiving from the Lord. And of course, Proverbs is, and and so, you know, I I said this a couple of times, Psalms would be read sort of like on your knees in prayer. Proverbs is more practical. You're going to take what you know about Proverbs and you're going to take it to the work area or to the extracurricular or to the schools or wherever we go. And so Proverbs is read more with whatever your work shoes are, (laughs) whatever you wear to work or your work clothes. That's Proverbs. So we took care of 10 through 12 last time, and now we get into 13. How about this? a wise son verse 1 heeds his father's instruction so who wrote proverbs solomon and who was solomon's dad david and who was solomon's mom She corrected me the other day, and of course she was right and I was wrong, but here up on uh, a couple Wednesdays ago. But right, Solomon's mom was Bathsheba, right? And so he was seen and watching his dad rule a kingdom, and he learned so much from the Lord by looking at his dad. Now there's a sermon all in itself there. But what else was Solomon doing? He had children, and oh, he had a lot of children. But the main child that you would think about would be probably Rehoboam who succeeded him as king for a short period of time and then somebody came and overtook him. But think about it. He was trying, Solomon was, to raise his son or sons in wisdom. And so he's writing these Proverbs inspired by the Lord. So he he got to the point where a wise son, he recognized that a wise son heeds his father's instruction. Now, isn't that interesting? Because when we're growing up, or maybe we've even grown up, we think we knew more than our father did. (laughs) And maybe we even had some battles with our father or our parents. But a wise son or a wise daughter heeds his father's instruction. In fact, uh, Matthew Henry says this there's great hope. There's great hope for of those that have a reverence for their parents. Where are the young people in here? Raise your hand. So there you go. There's a great hope for those who have reverence for their parents. And I would say, too, as I'm talking to the young people, that we're to honor our parents, but listen. In order to honor your parents, folks, if you're old like me, you need to be honorable. Now, I'm not saying dishonor your parents if you're dishonorable, but be honorable. Don't exasperate your children. And we talked about that in the family series. But a wise son heeds his father's instruction. Now, you know this, don't you, before we go any farther? If... Solomon was writing to his sons, and the Lord was using this then to publish and to give to us as inspired word of God. You see, he, Solomon, was under a covenantal relationship with God. You do good, you get blessed. You do bad, you don't get blessed, right? They were under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant, and this is phenomenal. Because Jesus said this, I do always those things which please the Father. Now, I want you to think about that astounding statement. Here's one who came out of the heavens, the Son of God. And he came and he put aside, he laid aside his deity. He never stopped being God, but he laid down his rights and privileges and said, I'm going to submit And show how we are to live. And so he said, I I do always those things which please the Father. Which tells us that the perfect son was Jesus. And the Bible tells us that he lived up to every one of the covenants. He fulfilled the law with his life perfectly. He was righteous. And he took on the curse of the law, death, death taking the sting out of it for us who trust in Christ so that God sees us as in Christ, which means he sees us as perfectly righteous in Christ. Oh boy. And the sting of death is taken away for us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Because he was the first fruit into heaven so we're following him into eternal life and we're going to have a glorified resurrected body and so I want to point that out the wisest son is Jesus we want to be wise sons as well but we're wisest (laughs) when we're found in him when we're found in him a wise son heeds his father's instruction but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke now look when the Bible or here in uh, uh, Proverbs is talking about scoffers, he's talking about people who are scorners or scoffers, the ones that know everything and you can't tell them anything. Does anybody know that, a person like that? Don't raise your hand, Jan. But does anybody know somebody like that? You can't tell them anything. They know everything. They da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, that's sort of the word they're using here, or he's using here. A scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. We're going to see over the next several weeks, watch this, that a wise person handles criticism with grace and learning. They move on in it. They don't get fractured by it. And they grow from it, no matter who it is, the king, the king's son, etc. Get it? And he says it all the time. So here a wise man, a wise man is somebody who listens to rebuke, not just criticism, but to a rebuke. He takes the kernel of truth there and thinks about it and doesn't get fractured by it. And moves on in it. That's wise. But listen, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. But the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. And that's an interesting proverb. But for us on this side of the cross, the Bible tells us that we become new creations in Christ. We formerly were slaves to righteousness, or excuse me, to sin. But now, look, listen, we're slaves to righteousness. We have a new nature the old man has been put away. The new creation uh, moves forward. And so what comes out of us or is coming out of us is one that speaks life and speaks fruitful. And a man shall eat well by it. So when speaking, you shall be fed, so to speak. In other words, and isn't this so true? who hears naturally by nature negative i'm raising my hand here by the way yeah right and what's interesting about negative talk and i'm i would say is even when you're negative even if it's not negative toward yourself even if you're negative towards somebody else you feel cruddy as you're being negative but when you speak encouragement not false flattery but encouragement or praise or edification to someone then how does it make you feel you feel build up you feel blessed amen so look he tells you that right here it's so wise a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence and he who guards his mouth preserves his life That's a wise person, a person who trains his mouth and guards it. Trains his mouth and guards it. Who here, before they were Christians, spoke like a sailor? Yeah, right. And when you give your life to Christ, right, you can feel that tension in there. (laughs) Sometimes. True? True. And the Bible says that we are to participate with what God is doing in our life. He's created you as a new creation, but for, you know, whatever, if you became a Christian when you were 25 or whatever, 25 years you've been putting in bad and pumping out bad stuff. And now the Lord has created you new, but there's still these things that are warring in there, the flesh against the spiritual. And so you're to guard and train your mouth and the things that you say. And he tells us there, in fact, it's life-giving. And it is life-giving, isn't it? Because some of the things that you have said or have been said to you, I mean, right? There have been things that were said to you when you were a little kid. You remember to this day something that somebody said in a harsh way or a negative way or an unkind way or an inappropriate way, and it did something to you, right? It stuck. Or maybe somebody said something encouraging or a blessing And it did something to you, and it stuck, and it built you up. And he who guards his mouth preserves life. In other places, it could say it would destroy life, but he who opens his lips or opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Calvin Coolidge, anybody know who he is? He's one of the presidents, right? Uh, Calvin Coolidge has a saying, uh, and he's so right I never have regretted anything I didn't say. Calvin Coolidge, I never have regretted anything I didn't say. Isn't that so true? And James tells us to be better listeners than speakers. Ooh, that's convicting. Be a better, slow to speak, you know, quick to listen. That's what James tells us. That's a blessing. That's wisdom. That's spiritual wisdom is to speak. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic book on community, Dietrich Bonhoeffer gives a whole chapter on the ministry of listening. Listening. Husbands, we could do well to listen. We don't, or at least I don't, listen too well. So, he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. One pastor said this. Use the acronym THINK when you're speaking. T. Is it truthful? If, it's so, if so, move forward. H, is it helpful? If so, move forward. I, is it inspiring? <laughs> uh, if so, move forward. N, is it necessary or needful? Then move forward. K, is it kind? Think. And um, th- th- that verse right there, three, speaks of having a strategy, uh Uh, a training ground for your mouth and the way that you speak. And then he goes on, and this is a theme a lot of places throughout the Proverbs. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And you know what's interesting about that? That certainly applies out in life. I mean, if you have your own business and you never show up, You're not going to do so well. But I think this applies in spiritual matters as well. Like, for instance, if you want to be a loving, giving, kind, supportive, listening, serving, praising, praying, guided by the word body of Christians then I think it takes diligent work to do it. What do you mean? Don't you rely upon the grace of God? Yo, yeah. Of course you rely upon the grace of God. And yet, the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. There's abundance when you stay at it. You keep encouraging. You keep serving. You keep loving. You keep praising. You keep praying. And the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Well, what about this? A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame and righteousness guards him whose way is blameless. And That's a fascinating verse because, you know, David talks about not lying in the Psalms. And what's fascinating about David is he did lie. He lied a lot, as a matter of fact. So a righteous man hates lying, and I think that's key. Listen, did you become perfect when you became a Christian? And I think the answer is no, practically. Positionally, you're perfectly righteous. Practically, you still have this spiritual war going on. But what the Lord wants you to see here in this verse, I think, is that he wants you to hate what he hates. And you to grow to dislike and recognize the things that he doesn't like. And that you, through prayer and communion with him, begin to dislike the things that he dislikes. Like lying. Doesn't mean you're never going to lie as a Christian. You may have. Or you may. But you repent. You repent to the Lord. You repent to the person and you lied to. And you ask the Lord for help, and you move on. So a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Listen to this. Matthew Henry said this, where grace reigns, sin is loathsome. Where sin reigns, the man is loathsome. Did you catch that? Where grace reigns, sin is loathsome. But where sin reigns, the man is loathsome and comes to shame. But righteousness guards him whose way is blameless. What is righteousness? It's conformity to the mind of God. It's doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And righteousness, if you notice here in verse 5, is sort of like the banks of a river. It keeps everything in line (laughs) so that you don't get outside the banks and get wild and get destructive. Catch that? So righteousness guards him, those ways blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. How about this? There's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing. I think of Howard Hughes. You guys know Howard Hughes? Howard Hughes, this very, very rich man in, what, the 20s and the 30s, and uh, bought up all the airplanes and the the airlines and formed TWA and became, at the time, one of the richest, if not the richest man in the world. But for the last several years of his life, he rented out a hotel floor, sealed it up with tape, never came out of his room, and wore plastic gloves on his feet and his hands and his head. And he was scared to death of germs, and so his um, servants, or his, I don't know, I don't know if you call them servants, but the people who worked for him uh, actually sort of ran all the things that he told them to do from a hotel room. And I think of him, I mean, he's rich, yet has nothing. He's in jail, he's in prison. But there's one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. And of course, the most and best of that is that, do you know that Jesus became poor? The richest of the rich became poor for your sake so that you would be rich spiritually. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. But I think on earth, one of the great examples of a man becoming poor so that he could be rich spiritually is a man named C.T. Studd. Do you guys know? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of C.T. Studd. Yeah, C.T. Studd grew up in a very rich home, and I think it was in the 1800s, early 1900s, very, very rich home, and his dad has all set to put him into business as he grows through his teen years, and he tells dad, Sorry, Dad, I'm not doing that. I'm going to become a missionary. And he became a missionary in... uh, uh, China and India and Africa. And he gave his life for the cause of Christ. And if you want to bless yourself, you get a biography on C.T. Studd. You know, his goal and his famous quote is that he wanted to put a chapel bell within a yard of hell. People wanted to put the churches in nice suburbs and things. And he said, I want to put here, I have a chapel bell within a yard of the hellish places of life and give the gospel. C.T. Stud And I think of him, and I think, wow, that's it. He gave up his life for the cause of Christ. There's one who makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. And that is a statement. What are you doing with your life? What am I doing with my life? Boy, I was talking to somebody yesterday or maybe at the Time up at our house on Monday afternoon. And they were saying that for several years, even in their Christian life, they just sort of woke up and went to work and came home and grabbed the paper and watched TV and pet the dog and went to bed and got up and went to work and came home and grabbed the paper and pet the dog and eat dinner and watch TV and go to bed and did this for several years until the Lord really woke them up to the fact that they were not serving the Lord. This was their thing, not my thing. They were telling me this. But that the Lord got a hold of their heart in verses like this, saying we're to serve and give our lives for the cause of Christ, no matter what we're called to to do as an occupation or where we are in life. We're to bear fruit that glorifies God and to make disciples disciples. And are we making disciples? Well, anyway, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, uh, but the poor does not hear rebuke. Uh, In other words, uh, a rich man can buy his way out of difficulties, but poor people don't hear that sort of thing. And then the light of the righteous rejoices. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And uh, I think to myself that Jesus said he was the light of the world. And we talked about that on Sunday. He's the light of the world. But what's astounding is he says you're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. Now think about that. That power on the first day of creation where there weren't any sun or moon or stars yet. And yet there was light somehow from the glory of God. And that glory comes into you by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, go and shine that out in power to a world that's hurting. Sort of like C.T. Studd did. Amazing. So the light of the righteous rejoices. And that's what we do as wise people. We joy Over and over again. That's what rejoice means. We keep joying, if that's a way of saying it. But the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Those who listen and receive counsel, they're well-advised. Who here likes to be criticized? Put your hand up. Oh my goodness, why not? (laughs) <laughs> it hurts, <laughs> but here what the what the uh, Bible is telling us is that you and I and we are to receive criticism and rebuke and advice in a good way and to take it and to learn from it and to grow in it, and I don't know about you, but that takes Holy Spirit power to receive, I think sometimes by pride comes nothing but strife but the will advises wisdom and wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished will be dismin- <laughs> diminished sorry but he who gathers by labor will increase he keeps talking about that dishonest gains in business especially is no good but then how about this one of our favorite ones we learn this one we remember it, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, ah, a tree of life. Right? Don't you love that? One pastor said this, God makes a promise, faith believes the promise, hope anticipates the promise, and patience waits on the promise, quietly. And you can see that sort of Not sort of, you can see that in Abraham as he was promised a son. And in Hebrews, it says, after he patiently endured, the promise came. But hope deferred makes the heart sick. And isn't that so true? Have you ever heard from the Lord and you knew it was from the Lord and he didn't meet it in the way that you wanted it to or necessarily quick enough? I always tell you this story, but, you know, when we were at the end of our home fellowship at our house, This couple came to us and said, we want to tithe here. And we're like, tithe? We don't ask for money here. Why do you want to tithe? Well, we want to tithe here because we feel like this is our home fellowship. And we're like, let's pray about that. I don't know about that. The next time that we had a home fellowship, another couple, unrelated, comes to us and says, we want to tithe here. And we're like, "Uh uh-oh. Okay. And that's about the first time we thought about starting a church like this. And we were just in our house. I mean, some of you have been to our house. It's not very big. It was rough. <laughs> we don't know where to put everybody, right? But uh, And we didn't have Xander and Olivia beside us, so we didn't have that room. So, uh, 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 So we started praying about it, and the Lord really spoke to us and said, Yeah, we want to have you start a fellowship in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. So I'm doing a Bible study with all the politicians in Pleasant Hills where I live. And I would go to them and I'd say, okay, this this property, we want to have church in this property. And they'd say, well, (laughs) that's all well and good, except for it's not zoned as such. And so I'm like, well, get us a map. Show us a map. And everywhere you see on the map that is unoccupied building is not zoned for worship. Why? Because politicians like taxes and churches don't pay taxes. So, I'm like, guys, this is unconstitutional. I mean, you can't cut out the churches. But anyway, so, you know, I'm starting to think, Lord, you told us that you wanted us to start a church. We can't find a church. My hope deferred started to make me sick. And here's when it really got sick and off the rails. So, one day, I'm surfing social media, and I see... uh, New church starting in the South Hills. Like new church in the South Hills. We don't have a website yet. That's not us. And it was like right down the street from here. And now hope deferred. I got really sick, like toxic sick, like really mad, really angry at the Lord. Lord, what are you doing? I mean, you said you were going to, but see, he was waiting and he was waiting. And by the way. The Lord took care of me on that in the last chapter of John when he said, what is it to you? You just follow me. And when the Lord spoke that over me, that solved that problem. And I didn't have that problem anymore. But I kept saying to him, but where is it? Where, I mean, come on, Lord. I mean, pleasant. What do what we do?" And um, anyway, through an unbelievable amount of circumstances, we had picked out a building that was probably one sixteenth 16th this size or maybe smaller. And so the Lord was protecting us, but I was getting sick because I wasn't waiting patiently and I wasn't trusting and I was doing what I wanted to do versus what the Lord uh, did. And so have you ever had that? Have you ever had a promise by the Lord and it's not come true yet? And you're starting to get angry and bitter. Well, don't. Because if the Lord promises it to you, he'll give it to you. But here's the good news. Ready? I went through all that because here's the good news. Because the Lord does promise some of those circumstantial things as you go through life. I want you to go to college, maybe, he says. Or I want you to serve here. I want you to do this job. But maybe you don't know the college that he has picked out for you. And so you have to wait on him. But listen, that's like the cherry on top. That's like the icing on the cake. Here's why. Because the Bible tells us in Peter that we have the solid, stable, total blessing that we never need to become sick over. And that's this. We have a living hope. (laughs) And it's Jesus Christ, the one who died and lives and sits at the right hand of the Father. So we have this all the time, Jesus, that baseline, or even better, a baseline sounds bad. But you don't have to get caught up in the ups and downs. You have a living hope. I have a living hope. We never have to get sick because hope is always there for us. Isn't that beautiful? And so hope deferred, yes, if you're counting on circumstantial things. And sometimes the Lord does walk you through some circumstantial things. But when the desire comes, oh, it's a tree of life. Here's what happened. We went across uh, the river um, to go to a praise concert over at the Elizabeth Grand Theater. John Serpa introduced me to the owner of the theater. I shook his hand and I said, this is how long it took. Hey, my name's Tim, and we want to start a church here on Sundays. He said, Call me Monday, and we'll do it. Took us about 20 seconds. And so, the point is when the Lord's time, it's the Lord's time. And so, hope deferred does make the heart sick, but man, we have a living hope, and He is life to us, and it's amazing. He who despises the word will be destroyed. Isn't that interesting? Coming with the new nature comes a love for God's word. Oh, by the way, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word. Don't despise the word, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And the law of the wise is a fountain of life, God's word, to turn one away from the snares of death. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but fools lay open his folly. Uh, A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador uh, brings health. And you know, you could go back into 2 Kings and you could see the perfect example of this proverb with Naaman and Gehazi. Do you remember them? Naaman, uh, Gehazi, and Elisha. Remember that story? Uh, Naaman was a Syrian and got leprosy, right? And, uh, he came to Elijah or wanted to meet with Elijah, and Elijah sends out his servant Gehazi. Gehazi says, Elijah's heard from the Lord, and you're to go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And he's like, Can't Elijah come out and tell me this? Why does it have to be you, this uh, silly servant? Why does it have to be you? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so he goes and dips himself. And uh, he, uh, he's healed. But remember this, the intermediary there, Gehazi, he wants to get something from being the good messenger. Do you remember that? Anyway, if you didn't, go back in First Kings 5 and read it. And what I'm just trying to tell you here is that the Bible says that a wicked messenger falls into trouble. When you are called as a messenger to take the message of God to people, and have a serious message, don't go with any other motive than to glorify the Lord. You know, sometimes, I just got to tell you, I see some of these guys doing all this evangelism. They're like rabid for evangelism. It's almost as if they're marking trophies down. I got them. So that they can put the little digits and tell me or you on social media how many people they witnessed to. And it's like, oh. I don't know about that. How about just love the person and proclaim Jesus and glorify the Lord? You get what I'm saying? No agenda, no ulterior motive, just the Lord's glory. Well, you can see that in that story in 1 Kings 5. But a faithful ambassador brings help. 2 Kings, sorry. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. (laughs) <laughs> no more nursery for Jan. <laughs> Second Kings 5. There we go. Well, poverty and shame will come to him who disdain's correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. See? You better pray about pray about receiving criticism. Criticism is good stuff for the Christian. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. But it's an abomination to fools to depart from evil. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. And I want you to just um, hold on here with me. When something gets done, you know, a project. Who here is great with projects? Rate your hand. I will take these hands and put them down. Oh, so none of us are. Xander's in the back. Michael's good at it. Brad's good at it. Yes. You good at it? Yeah, and when you get done with your project, wow, Sarah's good at it. When you get done with your project, oh, you just, it just feels good to you. People who love projects. Right? It just feels great. You're done and you're accomplished, and that feels wonderful. I want to show you something. Look over in Proverbs or excuse me, Psalm 17. Go over there with me. Psalm 17, Uh, look in verse 15 with me. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. And watch this. Here, the project's complete. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Now, do me a favor. Turn to Romans Chapter 8. Go there and look in verse 28 with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, well, listen to this, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Whoa. And the Bible tells us when we see him, we shall be like him. Project complete. He who begins a good, began a good work in you will be faithful to the end. He'll finish it. He's the author of your faith. You're his poem. He's writing your story. He'll complete it. The project is going to get done, unlike at my house. The project will get done. I get excited about that. You ever have something in your life and you just struggle with it a lot and sometimes you say to yourself, how in the world could I have said that or how in the world could I have thought that or why did I do that? I mean, I've been following the Lord for whatever years and Oh, man, I thought I had victory there. and, And you ever had something like that? And the Bible says that you're not going to become a God like Jesus is a God, but you're going to be mature and your character is going to be conformed to the image of Christ. You're going to be like him, not him, but you're going to be like him. Man, what a promise and a blessing. And how Wonderful are we going to feel as he accomplishes his project in our life and in our soul as we live with him. Well, we'll finish out here. He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And this is no secret, folks. If you're young here or if you're old, (laughs) you become like your friends. The folks that you put around you Often you become like, you become like them. You think like them. You begin to talk like them. You act like them. And so, uh, yeah, the power of God is good. Yeah, we're to go and to be out in the world with unbelievers and to take the gospel to the streets. But when we come back for counsel and refreshment and edification and encouragement, oh, we're to be with those who are wise for us to be wise. In other words, pick your friends wisely. That's what that tells you there. An evil pursues sinners, but the righteous good shall be repaid. A good good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Wow. You ever thought about that? What's the purpose of my life? What am I doing with my life? Well, if you read the Bible, you can figure out the purpose of your life. It's to glorify the Lord. It tells us that. It's to make fruit that glorifies the Lord and makes him big in our lives. But one of the things that we do if we're living uh, powerfully by the person and work of the Holy Spirit is we begin to live and leave inheritances. Of course, this could be speaking of financially, and that's good to do, yes, but that will all fade away. How about a spiritual inheritance of faith in the times when it didn't look like anybody should have faith? How about peace in the times of trouble? How about uh, 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 um, courage when everything is saying shrink back? How about stepping out in faith And failing and getting back up again and going out again. Showing your kids and the people that you're responsible for how to live a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit and how to get knocked down and get back up again and how to receive criticism and how to move forward in love instead of revenge. How about loving your enemies? How about being poor in spirit? How about being the meek ones of the earth? How about being the peacemakers instead of the polarizers? So that if the Lord tarries and he blesses you with children, that would would even move down into the grandchildren. And many through your life, of course it's the Lord, we know that, but many through your life, many, Many people through the tree of your family would come to know the Lord and be saved. What an inheritance you could give and we can give as we depend upon the Lord. And I think that's really what that proverb is speaking about. A reputation, an example to your grandkids and beyond. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. And he who spares his rod, look at this, hates, that's a harsh word, his son or his children, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now look, David and those guys and Solomon and Rehoboam, they would know these sorts of things. There were all kinds of early uh, patriarchs who didn't do this or er or early important figures in the Bible who didn't discipline their children. The Bible says this, if you don't discipline your children, you hate them. If you're your friend, your kid's friends all the time and not their parent, you hate them, That's what it says, not me. You're not their buddies. You're the parents. We're not creating center of the universe kids that God revolves around. We're creating kids who revolve around God. That's what we're charged with. And that's what the Bible says. And the righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul. But the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. And again, I think this speaks spiritually. One of the things that you could look at in First Kings 21, look that up real quick, Jan. There's this perfect story in the Old Testament about this. Do you remember King Ahab? He was married to the wicked Jezebel, and he had all kinds of land and property and buildings and possessions and horses and blah, 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 blah. And he's walking through his kingdom one time and he sees this little field. He goes, you know what? I want that field. And um, he goes over and uh, he talks to, uh, you know, the guy there, uh, I guess it was Naboth, right? Naboth. And he says, hey, can I buy that field? And Naboth said, nah, not for sale. And I don't know if you remember this, but Ahaz goes and says he turns his face to the wall as he's trying to sleep, and all he can think about is he wants the field. And Jezebel comes and says, what's wrong? And he says, well, I want that field, but it's owned. And guess what she does? She takes out a hit on him and gets the field for Ahab. And that's a picture of this. There's no satisfaction in things. There's none of it. You're never going to be satisfied fully by getting this job or marrying that person or being in that relationship or having this wealth or going on these vacations. You're never going to be fully satisfied, but the only thing that's satisfied is those who are righteous being satisfied in the Lord Jesus himself. Boy, is that a message for today's generations, the era in which we live I guess the Rolling Stones got it right. <laughs> they couldn't get any satisfaction because they were looking at the wrong in the wrong places. They weren't looking for Jesus. Let's pray. Well Lord, uh, so many things here Lord to unpack. And uh, I pray, Lord, (laughs) that you would bless these things to us as we move on this week, moving out uh, in our jobs, in our men's retreat, uh, in other places, Lord. Help us to be wise people, not just knowledge people, but to be wise people. Lord, help us to bless our families and be good husbands and good wives and children and friends. I pray, Lord, that all that we do and all that we say and all these different uh, circumstances would glorify you and raise you up. That many would come to know you through these folks here in the sanctuary tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.